Well, I'd like to begin today by joining in with all of the others to say Happy Mother's Day. Moms, we want you to know that we love you, we value you, we appreciate you. And we also realize that this is probably not how you thought about celebrating Mother's Day this year. Nevertheless, it's a reality, and we want to make sure that in this reality, there is not any diminishing whatsoever of your value and your worth. So again today, we say Happy Mother's Day. We are so thankful for you. Well, as we begin to close out this series, and as I step into this final message, I'd like to read uh, a couple of verses that are found in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. I'm going to be reading from the message version, so why don't you just follow along as I read, and here's what they say. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you can become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Now, I wonder what happens when we take these verses and we apply them to the pressures that we might feel in the midst of a pandemic. And here's what I would say. I think the application of these verses should cause us to think about the pandemic in an entirely different way. Maybe something like this. Listen, consider the changes in how you live as a result of the pandemic to be a gift. How you live under the pressures of the pandemic will reveal your faith life. Don't fight it. Don't run from it. Instead, let God use the pressures of the pandemic to help grow you up strong, mature, and well-developed in him. You know what that tells us? It means that even in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a crisis, we can take advantage of what's going on so that we can grow, we can become strong in ourselves because we're becoming strong in God. You know, um, at the very beginning of this series, Pastor Farrell uh, asked a question that I want to ask again today. Uh, and the question is this. Have you experienced any um, unexpected pressures as a result of the pandemic, as a result of the crisis? Uh, in fact, I think it would be interesting if you would, uh, there on the online chat, just begin to type in some words that would represent some of the challenges that you might have faced. And I wonder if while some of you are typing that in, uh, if some of you might be typing in family conflict, family tension, family pressure. Because let's think about it. After all, for about the past seven weeks, we've been together all the time, every day, with our family. In some cases, 24-7. Did I mention every day, all the time? And I think that we would all recognize that that in itself can present some pressure, but we would also recognize that pressure in itself can cause that which is unhealthy or that which is hidden deep within us to surface uh, uh, within ourselves, and it can also surface within our family. And so um, with that, um, 
we have to understand that oftentimes we don't want to deal with that stuff that oozes to the surface. We like to ignore it. And when we ignore it, it causes a real problem. And the problem is this. It affects family relationships. Um, recently, I, I ran across an advertisement for um, some wall art, uh, wall decor. And it was actually two companion pictures that hung side by side. And on one side, uh, the picture read, um, I love you more today than yesterday. And then the companion picture that hung on the right said, because yesterday you really got on my nerves. Does that sound familiar? Does that ring a bell to anyone? Because, again, we've been together a lot. We've been spending a lot of time together. I think it's a really good illustration of how tension and pressure can build in a family. And sometimes those tensions, those pressures are just um, because of small, annoying habits that somehow get magnified. But other times, those same habits can escalate to such a point that they actually cause conflict that causes damage in the, 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 the relationships within our family. Um, but thankfully, uh, this doesn't have to be the case for us. Instead, we can look to Scripture for um, answers of how to deal with family pressure and family tension in, in times of crisis. You know, as I began to uh, prepare for this message, I began to do a roll call through the Bible uh, looking for uh, stories of families who were under pressure. And what I realized quickly was there was no shortage. In fact, um, from the very beginning, think about Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. That was a family under pressure. And then there was Noah and his family, and that was a family under pressure. Uh, and then Joseph and his family. Certainly that family was under pressure. Even King David and his family. That was a family under pressure. Um, and then I moved from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And as I did, I found myself suddenly focusing on a family model that was just a little bit different. It wasn't the typical dad, mom, and kids. Instead, I found myself focusing on a family of friends. And in fact, I'd like to introduce you to that family of friends by reading a passage of Scripture from Luke chapter 6. And this is what it says. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spend the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them, who he also designated as apostles. Now, what we know is that Jesus had um, many followers, but after spending some time in prayer, Jesus calls all of those followers to him, and um, he chooses 12 of them to be his disciples. And for the next three and a half years of his earthly ministry, these disciples, along with Jesus, uh, they lived, they ate, they learned, they traveled, they did ministry together. And they may not have had a common blood bond, but they functioned as a close-knit family. So the question I would like to ask is, what can we learn from this group of friends? Well, I think that we can begin by recognizing that these men were just like us. They had emotions just like us. They were prone to selfishness 
just like us. They had the ability to create family drama just like us. And when the crisis came, these men, uh, just hours before Jesus' death, as these men were together, uh, they suddenly found themselves in a personal crisis. And it was at that point that conflict and tension began to surface in these men. And you and I are no different. When we face crisis, when we face pressure, we find ourselves in times of tension and conflict within the family. And it can cause damage. So how do we guard against this damage? And I think that we have to begin by first stepping back and recognizing that there are some very real players who contribute to the tension and the conflict that we face in families. And I'm going to tell you who they are. You may be surprised. You may not. But but here they are. Uh, Those who contribute to the tension and the conflict within the family, well, it's me, the husband. And it's you, the wife. And it's them, the kids. But I think it's even deeper than that. You see... All of us have very distinct personalities and dispositions. Thankfully, God made us very unique. And it's that uniqueness, if we don't learn how to deal with it in a healthy manner, that we find that the uniqueness can express itself in some very unhealthy ways within the family. This was true of, uh, this is true of us, and it's, it was true of the disciples. In fact, I think that we could confess, that we would acknowledge that there were uh, 12 very strong and very distinct personalities within the family of disciples. I don't have time to talk about all 12 of those personalities, but um, I do want to talk about three of those personalities that I believe stand out and that oftentimes can surface uh, within our own family. So I'm going to begin with Judas. Judas was very obviously a dominant strong personality in that family of friends. And we often, most often, refer to Judas as Judas the betrayer. But I would like to also present Judas as Judas as the opportunist. And I draw that from Mark 14, 11, where it says that Judas waited for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. Judas was in it for selfish gain. And so he brought selfishness into the family mix. And then, of course, there's Peter. Peter might have been the most prominent personality in the mix of this family of disciples. And I like to refer to Peter as the emotional enthusiast. Uh, Peter uh, was known for his emotion. He was known for uh, his ability to react rather than respond. And this is what he brought. He brought this emotion. He brought this enthusiasm into the the family mix. You know, Peter was known for things like, um, Jesus, you'll never wash my feet. Or Jesus, I would never betray you. Or remember the incident in the garden with the sword where Peter reacted and suddenly there's an ear laying on the ground? You see, Peter brought emotion. He brought enthusiasm into the family mix. And then finally, 
there was a, a personality trait that I found common in at least three of the disciples. Um, if you remember, Jesus invited Peter, James, and John to the Garden of Gethsemane to uh, pray and watch with him. So Jesus goes about praying, but every time he comes back to the disciples, they're sleeping. They're not good at the challenge of praying, but they're really good at the challenge of sleeping. And, and here's why I believe that's true. I believe that they were overwhelmed by the physical and emotional stress of the crisis that was going on. So they brought this sense of being overwhelmed into the family mix. Uh, well, without a doubt, these same personalities, these dispositions can often show up and show off in our families. And I'd like to talk a little bit more about this. So I've invited my wife, Cammy to come and join me in this discussion because I believe there's some great insight that she can help offer. So, hi. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for um, I, I guess I cautiously ask. Um, it probably would be a great place to begin. We've been together for uh, seven weeks now, mm-hmm. uh, uh, around the clock, pretty much 24-7. How are we doing have I been getting on your nerves? <laughs> I think we've been doing pretty good. I mean, you got on my nerves yesterday, but yeah, we've been doing pretty good. I'm just joking. But um, I think we've been good being together, but we've also respected when we've each needed space to be apart, and we've tried to give each other that. So, you know, considering I think it's going well. Yeah, I think we've done well, too. Yeah. Well, um, as we begin to think about these dispositions and these personalities, um, first, let me let me just ask a general question. Do you believe that our our uniqueness, the way God has created us, our our personalities, our dispositions, do they play a role in um, uh, in the family, especially in times of, of crisis when there's pressure? I think they do so much because we're all so different. I mean, we view the world different. We respond different. We we process differently. And, you know, the very things that attract us to each other, that we find endearing when we're together for extended periods of time, those things can actually drive us kind of crazy. So it's kind of like the best part of us is the worst part of us. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. So uh, let's spend just a little bit of time talking about these three um, personalities personalities that I've drawn from from the disciples. Let's start first with with the opportunist. Uh, hopefully none of us have a blatant uh, betrayer in our family. But um, op- oftentimes uh, I believe that uh, an opportunist can be present in the family, especially in times of crisis. Do you believe that's true? And how could it affect, how might it surface and how can it affect the family dynamic? Well, I think uh, Absolutely. I think we all have the potential to be opportunists, especially uh, in a time like now where there's so much out of our control. We try to control what we can. And whether we're doing it um, consciously or subconsciously, I do think that we have that potential. And I think it can show up in ways like all of a sudden you realize your seven-year-old's running your house. Um, or, you know, you have the teenager that's trying to manipulate the situation to get around certain restrictions. And, um, or, you know, as adults, I mean, we can actually kind of be manipulative sometimes to try to control something in a season where we can control so little. And yesterday we talked about this a little bit at home and it was that need for control in the unknown. Absolutely. And so it's not always intentional wanting to do damage, but it, it can surface. So what about this Peter personality, the emotional enthusiast? Um, 
do you do you believe that that can surface in the family dynamic and and how and, and what can it cause? Well, first of all, I gotta say I love Peter. I love his emotional enthusiasm. I relate to him a lot. Um, you know, emotional enthusiasts are fun and they bring energy, but they can also bring drama. And I think once again, it's the very thing that we love about someone can cause issues. So we love our emotional enthusiasts that are in our life. But then again, um, they can cause the drama. They can bring tension. So a lot of times what happens is an emotional enthusiast will react instead of respond. Now, to react is what we go with our gut, you know, our gut reaction. We just let it out there. Response takes, um, is more thoughtful. It takes more self-control. So, um, once again, I think, I think that can definitely play in a time like this where there's a lot of reaction. So we have to, to choose if we have an emotional enthusiast in our life. Um, when they react, we can respond. We don't have to up the ante and react to their reaction. So we have to choose to have a little self-control, to wait, take a deep breath, and respond thoughtfully. So we have to uh, work with the emotional enthusiast uh, to make sure that in their reactions there's not there's not blood on the ground and there's not suddenly ears laying around because they're reacting in such an emotional way. Exactly. Yeah, can... A lot of times I think we have more power to diffuse the situation with our calmness and our thoughtful response than we realize. So we need to um, utilize that power that we do have to, to bring peace and calm to a situation. I read something a few months ago, and it talked about that between the stimulus or between when something happens and our response, there's a gap. And it's in that gap that we have a choice to learn, to think it through, to process it before we respond rather than reacting. Absolutely. Sometimes when I have, when I, my gut reaction is to have a reaction, I take that as a sign that I really need to be quiet and I really need to wait. I even have this thing where sometimes I make myself wait three days before I respond to something, um, and which is so against my nature which tells me that's a good thing. Yeah. So finally, um, I, I think it's obvious that in times of crisis, certain personalities can become overwhelmed by the physical, the mental, the emotional stress of the crisis. How do you see that that can play into the family dynamic? Yeah. Well, we're all different, and we're all going to react differently. And we, we do react. It's not just about... Um, uh, our emotions or, or just about one thing, but we, we, we have to take care of ourselves. We have to, are we eating properly? Are we sleeping properly? Um, are we getting time alone? Are we getting outside? I've realized if I don't get outside every day, I get a little blue. So I need to make myself get outside every day. Are we getting exercise? We need to take care of ourselves, not only um, spiritually, but emotionally, physically, mentally, relationally. We need to be incredibly intentional about how we're taking care of ourselves right now because we're only human. And this is a very unusual time. We never experienced this before. So we need to be very diligent about taking care of ourselves. Tammy, this has been great. And before we finish here, I have one final question for you. If you could leave us with one thought about how families can experience peace in times of crisis, what would it be? I actually have four words, um, which have a lot of meaning behind each one of them. The first one is compassion. Let's have compassion 
with each other. Let's give grace even when we think grace isn't deserved or even when um, our tempers are ready to flare. Give each other grace just like God gives us. The second is um, empathy. We're all in this situation, a situation that we didn't ask for, that we didn't expect, that we've never done before. And it's hard. And there's going to be good days and bad days. Extend empathy. Try to place yourself in the other person's shoes. Um, the third one is self-control. Let, we are in control of ourselves. So let's practice that self-control. Hold our tongue when we need to hold our tongue. Wait and say a prayer before we respond so that we can respond instead of react. Um, just It's a great time to practice self-control. And finally, the last one is actually self-awareness. We've been given an incredible gift of time right now to um, work on ourselves, to become more healthy emotionally and spiritually. So ask yourself some hard questions. Uh, where am I doing good? Where do I need to work on? You know, what do I need to work on? And, and take advantage, you know, partner with God and have him transform you in the areas that you, of your life that you would love to be transformed in, that he wants you to be transformed in, because now's the time, because we can be ready for everything that's ahead. Well, thank you for your insight. Um, happy Mother's Day, and thank I love you. you. I love you. Well, in the final few moments, I want to take some time to talk about how families can live with peace in times of crisis. And it's just three simple thoughts. And so I'll begin by saying this. Peace can win out over conflict when we choose to be Christ-centered rather than self-focused. And choosing to be Christ-centered rather than self-focused is, is a matter of the heart. Um, it's, it's about us redirecting our heart and bringing it into alignment with the heart and the mind of Christ. And when we do this, here's what happens. Um, selfishness begins to dissipate, and we find ourselves beginning to live uh, with an attitude of humility towards others. The second thought that I would leave you with is that peace wins out over conflict when we learn to respond rather than react. And you might say, well, again, what's the difference? Well, uh, as Cammy said, uh, a reaction is typically quick and has very little thought. On the other hand, uh, a response is well thought. Uh, it's calm and it's, it's non-threatening. And when we can learn in the midst of crisis to respond rather than react, then we're on the right track. In fact, uh, in James, James chapter 1, I believe in verse 19, James gives us a formula for um, learning to respond. And it's simply this, uh, be slow to speak and be quick to listen. In other words, when we can engage in active listening, we allow the Holy Spirit to help us process what's what we're uh, hearing, and then he empowers us to uh, know how to respond in a right way. And then finally, I would say this, peace wins out over conflict when we learn to live with an attitude of spiritual alertness. How do we live with an attitude of spiritual alertness? Well, again, it's a heart matter. And it requires guarding our hearts. Why is this important? Well, Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart because everything you do flows out of it. You know what that means? That whatever I take into my heart, that's what's going to come out. So if I'm taking in crud, guess what? 
Crud's going to come out, and that crud is going to spew all over the family, and it's going to affect the family relationships. So spiritual alertness actually requires knowing our true enemy and understanding the tactics that he has against us and our family. I want to leave you with this today. During times of crisis, um, we uh, all need to recognize that each family member is very unique. We're all made differently by God's design. And because of this, each person, each family member within the crisis will respond differently. Because that's true, we need to learn to have patience. We have to exercise patience toward each family member because many times the family member is still trying to figure out what's really going on. I hope this has been helpful for you, and I hope that you can find peace within your family. And um, as I close today, I want to pray for you. But as I do, I just want to say that perhaps uh, you're not experiencing peace because you've never met Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. And you have an opportunity to do that today. Uh, And simply by doing this, just recognizing, Jesus, I've never had a relationship with you. And because of that, I'm not experiencing peace, but I believe you love me and you died for me. And so today I choose to believe and I receive the forgiveness of my sin. And when you do that, something happens inside of you. In fact, the Bible says you become a new creation. So if we could all bow our heads wherever you are, I want to pray uh, for those who might have made a decision and for everyone. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Uh, Thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray for anyone today who is lacking peace because they don't know you, that even in this moment they would say, I believe, and they would begin to experience new life. And I pray for every family situation where there's pressure and conflict and potentially damage happening to the family. And I ask that they experience your peace more than ever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.